This is episode 104 of Relate on finding commonality within our humanity. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and in today's episode of Relate, we are talking about humanity and how can we relate on a human level. We talk about how the internet is having an effect on us, how we tend to have confirmation bias, and that we find information that enforces our beliefs. We talk about joy, connection, insight, and humanity on this episode, that people want meaningful connections. And instead of focusing on what divides us, we want to inquire with one another with genuine curiosity. It becomes easier to spread negative messages and misinformation because negative information online is a lot stickier than positive messages. And we really dive into the details as to why this is. Our guest talks about the importance of being deliberate, why it's so important to make people feel better, how to find constructive ways to communicate, and to be cognizant of how we are spending our time. There is a lot packed into this episode. I'm very excited to share it with you all. If you think it might resonate with a friend of yours, if you're thinking you know of someone who might need to step more into their humanity, send this episode to them. Now for our guest who is going to enlighten us on all this information. She is the co-founder of Jomanity, a startup focused on helping people at scale live every day with more joy and humanity. She has a wake up at 3 a.m. passion for advancing technology toward the common good. Our guest has led product, technology, and engineering functions at Pearson, United Health Group, Motorola, and a handful of startups. She has a BS in electrical and computer engineering and a second major in mathematical economic analysis from Rice University. Our guest is also on the board of the Wedge and Linden Hills Co-ops and the Twin Cities Elevate Network and also mentors underserved high school students. So we have an amazing guest joining us on this episode of Relate. So I won't I won't talk any further. I won't take up more time and I will share this amazing conversation with you all. Our guest, Sarita Parikh. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Our guest today is Sarita Parikh. Sarita, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Hi, Pat. Thank you for having me. 
I'm really excited to dive into this conversation with you because you are the co-founder of an organization called Jomanity, which I love the name. When we chatted a few, I guess it was a few months ago now, uh, I, I told you how I really like that name and I really like what you stand for as well. And so much of what we talk about on this podcast is about relating to one another and the importance of deep and meaningful connections and relationships. And I was really excited to have you on the show because I, I think that you obviously have a lot to say uh, when it comes to this type of work and uh, this topic. So I'm really excited to have you here and to dive into a deeper conversation. Me too. Yeah. Thank you. I'm excited. So I'm wondering if you could just start off by sharing a little bit about yourself and what led you on to the journey to create the type of organization that Jomanity is? Ah, well, I would say uh, it's probably the culmination of maybe a dozen different things, but maybe the single biggest, uh, I guess, catalyst was uh, just watching what's happened uh, in the U.S. democracy, but democracies all over the world. And as technology has really grown, as public trust in, uh, in public institutions, in news organizations has decreased, uh, we've had like more and more sort of this bitter divisiveness, this us versus them culture. And if you couple that with, um, you know, the, how easy it is to spread misinformation, how easy it is to sort of build this kind of cult of personality, all of those sorts of things. I think all of that among, and, and potentially you could add the income gap. There's a number of things you could add, but I think all of it together uh, put me in a position where I was honestly just really worried about the direction of humanity. And I was especially concerned about um, you know, the public costs, the externalities of a lot of the big technology platforms that um, they have this massive cultural impact uh, without much responsibility for that cultural impact. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you on that. And that was actually a big reason why I recently shifted gears with my podcast, uh, re most recently changing the name to Relate, because I think now more than ever, it's so important that we relate to one another and acknowledge that, yes, we're all coming from different backgrounds. Yes, we all have different ideologies and ways of life. But I think that we find or I think that if we try, we could find those commonalities and those similarities as well. I really love your tagline that you have for Jomanity, where you talk about more joy and more connection, more insight and more humanity. Why should we have more of these things? When you think about humanity and you think maybe about all of the things that go into it, uh, it is obviously, you know, it's the the wisdom of all 7 billion of us on this planet. Um, you know, we are culture. We're what create humanity. And uh, there's so much around um, certainly like soundbite culture or like sensationalism and things like that. Um, and so when you think about humanity, if you kind of work backwards, part of it is about, you know, insight is about actually being able to like really evaluate what is true, uh, what's fact versus opinion. Um, honestly, even things that seem kind of boring, but like understanding like scientific evidence versus pseudoscience, all of those things play a role in how we evaluate the information that's presented to us. And if you even step back from that, when we think about what information we believe, it's very often based on the people we believe. And so it's tied back to connections. 
And uh, so for me, for example, I fit a pretty standard demographic and psychographic. I'm a mom with multiple children. I live um, in an urban area, but a, but a relatively, um, but not in New York City style. I live in Minneapolis, so it's urban, but we have, people have yards and things like that. And even in this culture, it's really interesting to me to see how much uh, there's sort of like clickiness and us versus them and all of those sorts of things. And I, it strikes me like even in day-to-day interactions, like uh, how often the sort of connection skills around like um, what you're thinking and how that comes out in the words that you say or the body language that you have, like how that impacts the people around us and how it impacts our connection. And so, and then even if you step further back from that, like if you think about what's most fundamental to each of us as individuals is sort of this like sense of awareness about like our reactions and our responses and our own personal joy. Like what is it that, that drives us? And so and that's a long-winded answer other than to say that the four things, joy, connection, insight, and humanity are so tangled together that you can't really, like you pull any one string and it impacts something else. And so when we looked at it, we thought like this is sort of a holistic view of uh, the skills that go into uh, the broader set of humanity. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And when I was reading that and, you know, just hearing your answer right now, it it really resonates with me a lot because they're really all entangled into what makes us human beings and really what makes everybody human beings. And those really visceral moments or those uh the, those like that the, that part of the soul that allows us to connect to one another as human beings and i think a lot of what you 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 know you were just mentioning is that sometimes we get in these tendencies to just think of our own beliefs and follow the people that you know reinforce those beliefs or believe things that reinforce our own beliefs and i think that social media expedites that in a lot of ways for a wide variety of reasons. How do you think that we can combat that sort of tendency to fall into these silos where we just get deeper and deeper and we aren't willing to see or listen to the other side? Right. I think um, one of the points that you made early on was this idea that uh, even despite different backgrounds and different ideologies, um, that we that we have this commonality. And I do think, um, I think it's so easy for us to forget that. So if you, if you were to meet like a hundred people and you were to ask them what's most important to them, you know, they might say different things on the surface, but if you ask, if you kind of go through that, that five why process and you ask them, you know, for example, if they say, I want to be really successful in my career, why? And then they, they might say, well, I think this is a really important part of my identity. And then you say, why? And then, and you, you peel the onion all the way back and it almost always comes back to people wanting to have meaningful connections. Uh, they want to live in safe. We want to live in safe places. We want our children to do better than us. Uh, you know, we want to work with a sense of purpose and meaning. Um, and so like if we strip away kind of like that top layer of maybe top few layers, we almost, we almost all have the same life goals. And even with politics and policy, you know, we all want clean water. We all are fierce supporters of democracy. You know, we all believe in like this idea of the American dream and that, you know, people, you know, wherever you're born, however you're born, that you should have the ability to be successful in this country. Um, And so I think it's, in my mind, a lot of it is like figuring out 
those skills to find common ground. And instead of starting with what is it that divides us, you know, who you vote for, where you live, are you vegan or not? You know, all of these different things <laughs> that are, are uh, that we, we almost focus on and like what separates me from you or what connects me from you or connects me to you. And um, when that, when that connection isn't obvious quickly, I do, I do think there's a huge skill in being able to like listen um, and inquire with like genuine curiosity to figure out where are we, uh, where's our common ground. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. I think there needs to be more of that. That's something that I'm also trying to do in my work as well, is really trying to figure out ways in which people can engage with one another and set aside their differences to find that commonality, to find that common ground to use what you you know were just mentioning. And like, what, why do you believe, just given your life experience, why do you believe that it's so difficult for people to do that sometimes? You know, I do think, uh, I mean, if you go back in history, this us versus them and label culture has always been around. I think if you look at propaganda campaigns throughout history, that's something that's uh, always been there. Uh, but it does become, you know, I hate to use the word viral in today's day and age, but it does become so much easier to spread the us versus them. So what used to be kind of local community kinds of um, you know, disagreements now have become like international kinds of like disagreements. And uh, you know, it's, I always find it interesting to hear how, what other people say online about whoever our president is at the time. Um, it's just so much easier to, to take these messages and those messages spread so quickly. Um, and so I'm not sure that it's necessarily, I, I, I do think if you study history and you go back, you can see so many times where there was this level, there was sort of intensity of divisiveness. I think what makes it so unique at this point is that it's, uh, it's, it can spread literally you know, in, in microseconds and uh, secondly, with AI, I think it's so easy for misinformation to not just spread, but to actually be recommended um, because it's, you know, it keeps eyeballs on longer and it keeps people on videos longer and so forth. And so it's a little bit of, um, I mean, I'm sure there's other things, but I do think technology plays an outsized role in, uh, in the spread of information right now or spread of perspectives. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that too is that sometimes because all of this information is often mixed in with all of our family and friends information on social media, pictures of loved ones. Sometimes this information I find could work on us on a subconscious way that we don't really realize it. And so I'm wondering, how do you think that we can become more aware of these potentially very negative effects that technology could have on us? I think there's a, a number of different things. And I, I think this is, uh, so in Jomanity, a big part of what we're experimenting with right now is just, is essentially skill building and awareness. But a lot of this um, ties back to when you hear a piece of information, you know, like instead of reacting to that specific piece of information in that moment, is just like taking that pause and, and asking yourself, you know, does this seem plausible? Uh, you know, who's the messenger? Uh, what evidence is there that supports this? And then also what evidence is there that doesn't support it? Because I think 
you had made a point about confirmation bias earlier. You know, we hear something that we believe and we're like, yep, there you go. It's true. Uh, and we rarely stop to say and ask, stop to ask ourselves what might contradict this opinion. Um, and so it becomes very often things that are opinions we start to carry as facts. Um, and so this idea of like figuring out, you know, when, when are you uh, subject to misinformation? When are you subject to sort of cultural norms that don't align to who you really want to be? Um, I think a lot of that is about coming back to the basics of like just pausing and then having those uh, critical thinking skills like in the moment, like being able to ask yourself, uh, you know, why do I believe this? Why do I not believe this? What is true? What's not true? And kind of going through that. It's very hard though. I mean, you know, anybody who studies the human brain knows how hard it is for us to um, really stop and evaluate information because so much of what we believe is, you know, it's not, not information that we know firsthand. It's based on what we've heard or somebody else heard. You know, it's the whole ripple effect. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult to get into, really, to, I guess, to train ourselves into the habit of really analyzing the effect that media, social media is having on the way that we think as well. How, how can we balance that, do you think, with the, all the positives that are present in technology? Like, how, how, do, we, how do we find those positives amongst the, the negatives? So, uh, Pat, I think in an earlier conversation, you had mentioned this idea of what's your intention? And I completely agree with that, this idea that if you go online because it's sort of in a sense of escapism or distraction, and you're just consuming, and I don't, I don't, I think using the word mindlessly consuming is a harsh term, but I will say that I myself experience that regularly. Uh, if I'm super stressed, I'll just go online because I just need a distraction. It's, it helps take my mind off of it. The downside to that, of course, is then um, sort of in that passive consumption mode, you can be really influenced and not even recognize it. Uh, but the alternate is true, though. Like if you go on really with a really strong sense of awareness and a strong sense of being um, actively like an active participant in what you're consuming and really thinking about it um, and really processing and maybe doing more research and so forth, then there's a lot of great things about it. So I think, uh, you know, is it is it something that you use like as a is something, you know, is your intention to use it as something that helps you grow as a person, helps you learn and connect? then that's amazing. Is it something that helps you sort of just escape your real life? Then, then that becomes a, a little bit of a slippery slope. Yeah, I love how you were mentioning about becoming an active participant. I kind of see that in juxtaposition to being a passive consumer, that if we're allowing ourselves to really, really heighten ourselves and create, create work that's going to impact the world, to use your word, be an active participant, in the online community, I think we're going to not only get a lot more positive effects from technology, but then also provide more positive effects for other people as well, as opposed to if we're just, you know, passively consuming what's on our news feeds all the time. I'm really curious, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this uh, regarding uh, j just how 
our relationships have been modified or changed because of the impact of technology. Why do you believe human relationships and connection are so important? And how can we optimize our relationships through navigating how we use technology? I think something that's been really common for a lot of us is that sort of label culture. Um, and so you see things online and sometimes see things that are maybe the worst of humanity. And that's just the way our brains work is that negative things are much, much stickier than positive things. Those, those stay with us a lot longer. Uh, and I certainly know my own experience was one where I really went down the us versus them rabbit hole uh, for a long time. Uh, and so I think the question then is how can you, how can technology actually help you be like sort of broaden your or increase your awareness so that you're much more conscientious of what you're doing, what you're saying. Um, I've actually seen some incredible things recently online where um, with some just really mean spirited comments and then people chiming in, but they didn't chime back, chime in with other mean-spirited comments. What they chimed in with was, uh, well, actually, I'll give you a specific example. So I follow this exercise person on Instagram, and she had, uh, for the pandemic, she had a kitchen workout, and she has a beautiful kitchen. It's very, very modern, and she was doing, I think, uh, tricep dips on a chair, which was just a very, like, stylistically postmodern chair. So here's this free video for people just because this exercise person was wanting to be helpful. And, uh, and I'm sure it's great exposure, but it was also just free. And um, someone commented on Instagram saying, oh, that, ew, EWW, that chair, that kitchen, so gross. So um, someone else responded and said, you know, this Chelsea posted this video to help us and help us actually stay fit when we're all staying in our homes. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I don't know why you would say something like that. I'm not sure what value it adds to this community. And uh, I was so struck at like the response was relatively respectful and it was uh, compassionate um, and non-judgmental, but it was also accountable. And uh, the person who had originally sent the you comment actually responded back and said, I'm sorry, I think I probably have cabin fever. I totally agree. It's great to see these videos. And my personal taste about kitchen furniture is irrelevant. But I was so blown away by that interaction. Um, because I'm used to, like, if I spend three minutes on Twitter, I just feel so disheartened. Um, three minutes on Twitter comments, and I feel so disheartened. Uh, so I say all of that because... Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see if, if we can start just, you know, all of us, like when we're online, actually stop being the silent majority and actually chime in and find constructive ways to kind of help us recognize that like when we say something, uh, the words that we say then land somewhere and they land on the person who received them, but they also have a much broader impact. Um, you know, the research is that uh, the things that we do have a, have an impact three layers outside of us. It's three degrees of separation and it's even more online. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that like there are ways for us to kind of uh, stop taking these kind of automated visceral responses and actually be more thoughtful and think about like, okay, like this is, even though I can't see this person's face and I don't know who they are, I can still be respectful and give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. 
it's it's really powerful when you see someone well you know you see someone who reacts negatively to a situation or reacts to somebody to a person negatively in a situation and then that other person or perhaps someone who is around that other person responds back in a way that is positive that is really genuine perhaps maybe a little bit heartwarming as well really essentially takes that that negative energy that has been spit out and turns it on its head and it's like it's incredible to see that happen because it just changes the you know the the atmosphere of the situation and the most amazing thing i i found is that it changes the person who said the negative the negative you know thought or opinion or whatever it may be you know it, it's amazing to to see that sort of effect take place i agree i think it's really i agree that it's really heartening and heartwarming and i think that i do wonder how we can scale it um but i do think you know i read that comment and now i feel like i'm I have a role model, I have a role model set of comments that I'm going to follow the next time I see something, you know, sort of see something, say something. Um, yeah, I mean, it takes a little bit of courage, I have to say, because uh, you never know how people will respond. But I think right, if you do right. it from, to your earlier point about intention, I think if you do it from a place of good intent, you can feel like, okay, I've done the best that I know how to do right now. I intended to be helpful. And then hopefully you'll learn whichever way it goes afterwards. Yeah. I'm to to kind of go off of this conversation. I think that really every day there are conflicting opinions that come across one another. Sometimes they end up in brawls, sometimes they end up in negative comments online. But I think in a more positive sense, sometimes there's people who are are able to set aside their differences and then have those difficult conversations and really to just learn more about the other side from your perspective why why have these difficult conversations why engage in discourse with someone who has a very different opinion as you than to just you know to just associate with people who have the same thoughts and beliefs yeah i think um i think the evidence is the polarization of the United States and actually many democracies all over the world um, is that it's an unsustainable model. And I think it, that divisiveness clearly creates room for um, quite a bit of manipulation uh, and disinformation propaganda. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, it's sort of this idea of like that, you know, we're stronger united. I know this sounds very cheesy. <laughs> I feel like I can go into a public service commercial, but <laughs> But it's the truth, and it's the truth. There's very little value, at least as a community or as a culture, in dividing ourselves. And, um, and that divisiveness allows, you know, allows people to be more manipulative. And so um, I, do, I agree with you. It's, uh, I've done a lot of, like, s kind of skill training around this idea of, like, how do you have a conversation with someone where – you, you can't agree on some fundamental facts. Like you might actually believe, for example, um, global warming is something where it's just such a, a surprisingly divisive issue for people. Um, and it makes it really, really difficult. And you actually see this, you know, every Thanksgiving, you see this in living rooms across the country where families are really struggling with what to talk about. 
but I do think at the end of the day, when you think about you know, what's a well-lived life, a well-lived life is not about focusing on what divides us. It really is focusing on love and compassion and connection. I mean, that really is like, you know, anytime, I don't know if you've ever done the, what would I want people to think about me when I die exercise? Yeah, like, yes, yes. yeah. When you do that, you know, you'd think, I don't want people to think, wow, she was really well-reasoned and very objective. (laughs) (laughs) I Super analytical. Like, no, what I want is I want people to say, wow, you know, here's somebody who really touched my life, uh, who really made me, you know, feel like feel better as a person. I always felt warm and I felt like I, you know, trusted. And that's what you want is someone who you want to just leave that kind of sense with people. Um, And so I, it's tough because, I know objectively, it's like so easy to focus on what the data says and what the science says and all of these sorts of things. Um, it's pretty unfulfilling as a lifestyle. Yeah. And it, it drains energy a lot. If you're <laughs> constantly putting out that negative energy, it that, that it takes a lot of work. That's that's something that I've I've always tried to develop an understanding of as to that you know when people are coming from this negative place usually it's because they have something not so great going on in their lives because it takes in my opinion a lot of energy to be negative so because of that there must be something going on that's causing them to act out in that way and i think if we have that sort of approach and that sort of intention when we face people who might be a little more hostile I think it can give us a, a better world view on how to interact and, and communicate with those people. Have you had um, have you had relationships where you've kind of delved in to understand the origin of that negativity or hostility with people? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say from a uh, necessarily a like in the moment <laughs> sort of situation, but there there have been you know quite a few you know relationships where I've looked back and I've said, okay, well, why why did it happen this way? Why did this? How 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 did it take like this left turn, so to speak? And really like thought about you know, what I was doing in that situation that might have caused a certain reaction or a certain thought or the other person to uh, wail out or maybe something that made me upset that caused me to be angry at somebody. That That's something that I've always looked to the, the past. And now what I'm trying to do really, I, I would say over the past maybe few few years or so, is really to assess those moments like in the moment as well. And maybe even before those moments, like, okay, how, how do I want to approach this potentially difficult conversation so that it's, you know, level-headed and so that it's uh, a productive conversation, even though it might be difficult. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think uh, my own experience is that uh, when there's hostility, there's almost always a there's almost always context. Like if you can, like if you can have the patience and um, I guess stamina to like kind of be on the receiving end, uh, but like come with a, you know, really a true spirit of curiosity and like sort of a, you know, learner's mind. At some point you'll figure out like what is the origin of that hostility? And it's almost always like, ah, 
yeah, I, I see why you feel that way. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's assumption upon assumption, you know, this like, the series of assumptions, but like peeling it back, you can understand, I, like there was something, some subtext or some under backstory. Uh, but I feel like that's different from pessimism. I do also know people who have maybe a more pessimistic outlook or a more cynical outlook. And I think that one's tougher because it's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily contextual. It's sometimes more of a uh, personality or learned behaviors. And, um, and that takes time, you know, if people who are naturally pessimistic want, if they are in, even interested in becoming mildly optimistic, that's something that is possible, but takes time. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I, I know for, for myself that something that I had started asking, my, I, I started doing this actually probably like a while ago, maybe even when I was like a teenager, I would ask myself in a situation that might might normally or previously get me upset or, 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 or um, sad or, or angry or whatever it may be, I, I started asking myself, will this matter an hour from now, a day from now, a week from now, a month from now. And when I would take a step back and ask myself those questions, I realized that there's actually a lot that is not worth getting upset about. Of course, not to say that those feelings are never validated, because of course there are several times when they are. But I think it is a matter of you know, just kind of having an awareness of yourself so that you could put your best foot forward when you're interacting with someone else, especially if it's someone else who has a completely different worldview than yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. I think those like moment to moment irritations, like that reminds me of a, a quote from Maya Angelou, one of my favorite quotes. Is, uh, she says, I've learned that you can tell a lot about a person by the way they handle three things a rainy day, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas tree lights. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great, I've never heard that one before. That's amazing. Yeah, so I think that you, you figured that out at, in your teenage years, which is amazing. Uh, but I agree, it's, that's very different than something where someone um, maybe has a, a you know, sort of polarly opposite perspective on something that you think is about, you know, so I, climate, climate change is a really big example. Maybe economic inequity is another big example. Like those are tougher ones. Yes, um, but I yeah. think even in those cases to your question about why have that conversation, um, because we have to compromise and we have to figure out like, what is it? Where do we have this sort of commonality? And then what can we both agree to so that we can find something that is, you know, fair, that we're all like, no one's going to walk away thrilled because they won, but maybe it's more of a collective win. Yes. Yes. I, I love that. I love that so much. A, a collective win. That's, that's something that I think the world would benefit from more if we had that, that sort of mindset for sure. I, I'm wondering, uh, that just makes me think like, with all of this time that we're, especially nowadays, are, are spending online, how do you believe that we can more fully step into our humanity? Well, I think a big part of it is uh, maybe tying back to your earlier point is, I mean, really being, it sounds so cheesy 
it's almost trite, but being intentional. I like to use the word deliberate just because intentional is so overused, but <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but I, but I, but I only say that because I feel like it's watered down, but the value is very true. It's like, just what am I, when I go online, what am I here to do? And, um, I think that's part one. And then part two, which I think is much harder is actually being cognizant of how we're spending our time because I, I know, uh, I've set physical timers or, um, uh, time limits on almost all my apps because I know uh, that between infinite scroll, I mean, just between infinite content um, and, you know, the way apps are designed is that like what, what I want to be a five minute break will easily turn into an hour break. Uh, and then I kind of you know, beat myself up over it. And I think that's super common. Um, there's actually a lot of really good data from uh, the center for humane technology on uh, how much time people want to spend on apps, how much time they actually spend, and when they shift from enjoying the app to actually being unhappy. And um, so it's a, it, my own experience is a very common experience. Uh, yeah. So I think it's partly it's about like knowing, uh, having your own mindset and knowing what you intend to do, but it's also about putting some protection in place because uh, you, it is, it's, I mean, a lot of these tools are using, um, you know, the, in the spirit of like reducing friction and making it easier for you to access content, it becomes something where you're actually much more likely to spend more time than you intended or that you even wanted. So I think it's, uh, I, I just say that because I know we spend so much time thinking about mindset and our intention and it's critical, but it's not always enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would agree with you on that. I think it, it does require more and it requires exactly, you know, what you were just mentioning there. Sarita, thank you so much for, for joining us on, uh, on Relate. I really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your insight. And I also really appreciate the work that you're doing with Jomanity. I think now more than ever, this type of work of you know, rediscovering joy, humanity, connection, really all these things that we discussed, are, it's, it's so important nowadays that we really take the time to connect with one another and find those commonalities to find those common grounds. So I really appreciate you just, just uh, sharing your insight on all of that. Uh, thank you so much. And I love that you're doing this podcast. I think it's so wonderful to really come back to, um, you know, what is, what is it the essence of what it means to have a, a powerful and meaningful connection? Before we head out, I'm just wondering if you could share with our listeners some information as to where they could find out about you and your work. Sure. Uh, we're at jomanity.com and uh, we're actually in uh, alpha testing right now, but we hope to be releasing uh, later this year before the election actually is our goal. So, Great. Great. Uh, well, you can I'll... sign up on jomanity.com. Yep. Perfect. I'll make sure to include a link in that of that in the show notes. So listeners out there, just go to the show notes and check out Jomanity. I highly recommend it. One last question for you, Sarita. How can we as a society better relate to one another? Uh, I think probably the if we can remember anytime we meet someone that we are 99.9% .9 the same, that we all all 7 billion of us or almost 8 billion of us, we have like, we have only 0.01% of us differs from person to person. And if we can just remember that, you know, we are all souls and we are all part of this, something bigger than ourselves, 
I think it softens our interactions. It allows us to be more compassionate and, a lot, and more curious. Well, we'll leave our listeners with that. Serena, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.